want to know what it is. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Offering is the truth, nothing more. Follow me. Thank you, Tanner. David Penn here. Welcome back. It's the Professor Penn Podcast. Thanking Free People Radio, uh, Tireget.com, our sponsor, a win-win, tires and the movement, freedom of movement, and then PrecinctStrategy.com if you're looking for a fast and succinct tutorial on how to get in the game. Well, you know, probably all of you know that scene. And I'm just playing it because it's just so incredible. There's just two things that jump out at me. And I, and I look back at this and I go, well, these people were really 1999. They were pretty much ahead of their time. You have to see it for yourself. You know, that, that's the benefit for me in doing this is I'm doing this research and I'm poking around a little more than normal. And what I'm finding is if you just turn over the rock, the truth pops out, just pop. And then, you know, I see it for myself. So I'm urging you to see it for yourself. And all it is is the truth. I mean, you know, I, and I've said this before, when I first heard that the truth will set you free, I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, if I get this truth, I'm going to be in heaven or life's going to be good. No, it just sets you free of the illusion that has been cast over us for who knows how long. I mean, it goes down to this, not to get too esoteric to start the day. 
Time is not linear. But we're taught it's linear because it's progressive. That means it's always heading in a direction, as if getting better. That's a scam. That's not how time works. But we all believe that's the way it works. So this is how deep these kind of uh, manipulations go. Uh, some of them are just, again, just stupid. We're just stupid. We're just stupid sometimes. Okay, great. Sometimes there's malevolence. I can't tell the difference. That's what we're going to have truth commissions for. I don't want to be a judge. I want people to tell their truth in exchange for their freedom and longevity. Isn't that strange how it works? Tanner, can you, can you hit that timer for me? Thank you. Tanner, we're going to get a microphone on Tanner here because he's going to bring the youth perspective, which is really what this is all about because we're going to move into a period of time when we're going to talk about uh, branding and product, something I really enjoy talking about. But uh, before we get down to that fun, we have to get into uh, neocons gone wild. Yes, we have to talk a little bit about what's going on uh, in the wild, wacky world of the Ukraine, which, you know, if it wasn't so horrifying, you know, if this was a Quentin Tarantino movie, this next scene, it would be hilarious. Can you just play this, please? Tanner, thank you. About 41 seconds. We have a 70% shortage of ammunition. Shoigu. Gerasimov. These are Where's the effing ammunition? Look at them. He's pointing the dead bodies now. If you had the normal amount of ammunition, five times fewer would have died. Pogosian speaking They came as volunteers. They're dying so you can gamble in your, uh, in your uh, redwood uh, uh, panel offices. You know, this is just incredible. And uh, this is Pogosian. I mean, this guy is the head of the Wagner Group. He's on the front lines. And uh, this guy is part of the Russian security state. So when this came out, it was a bombshell. Well, two days later, guess what? Here comes the ammunition. Now, why he's trashing these top Russian military leaders, that also could be theater. Who knows? But it definitely is making people jump up and down. Like, very interesting. It gave me the opportunity to uh, read a lot about this. And he talks about his volunteers. Well, this is also could be propaganda, but it is claimed on the Internet that of the 50,000 personnel fighting in that region, the Bakhmut region under uh, Prigozhin, uh, 40,000 of them were recently released from the penitentiaries of Russia, and now they're dying in massive numbers. So I guess you could say, uh, the wages of sin is death over there. They're taking a very uh, biblical approach to their prisoners. And I suppose if you live through it, you become, uh, you know, exonerated because God has chosen you to survive. It's a little bit like burning witches, you know? It's, they used to burn these witches. Why? Because if they, they burnt to death, they were human beings. Well, this is similar, similar, a little different, but similar. Uh 40,000 convicts, they're actually killing off their prison population over there. So maybe what Prigozhin is doing is he's making a cover story for all these families 
whose chill, you know, chill sons, sons, sons are being killed. And he came out of the prisons and maybe he's blaming it on the Ministry of Defense. So he doesn't look like the bad guy because you know, it's kind of bad, right? Anyhow, nothing's moving along there in the Ukraine. They're just sitting there on the verge of nuclear war, keeping us at the edge of our seats. And uh, the Ukrainian military, they brushed aside Progrosian and they said, okay, we don't believe it. And it turned out they were correct. He's rearmed and he's ready to go. And the fighting continues. And this, this brought up a really interesting vignette for me. You know, I have a daughter who uh, I've spoken of her before, and I, I'm sure she probably doesn't listen, but if she does, she'll know who she is. She's decided to matriculate to one of those fine East Coast schools. And I was very opposed to this for many reasons. But the number one reason was, who's working there? Because we have misunderstood as a society what's going on in our universities for a very, very, very long time. Going back to Operation Paperclip, where we brought all these Nazis into our educational system, and let's not forget the English that had been there since day one. Remember, the English and the British, you know, there was empires to be fought of, but they were together on a lot of things. You know, that, that Darwinian sentiment came out of England and codified thousands of years of human piracy and drugs and slavery, you know, justified it. The Germans picked up on it like it was mother's milk fit right in with their thinking. So let's not, let's just say these people, and they were related in terms of their, their leadership. If you want to have a good time, sometimes go on uh, YouTube and watch King Charles speak German. He does it like an expert, because he is. So I looked around and I found this, uh, this quote, this quote by a woman named Kimberly Martin. Uh, she said that uh, Prigozhin and his mercenaries are, quote, essential elements of the Russian military intelligence, so we don't believe anything he says. And then I read Kimberly Martin, a professor at Bernard College and Columbia University who specializes in Russian security issues. And having some experience with the, the secret society of the university, because I grew up in that world, um, I said, hmm, I wonder who she is. Because I know it's going to be out there, right? Oh, she's from Minnesota. A homegirl. Wow. That lets me know that she has a deep tie to European history and the English. Like, fantastic, right? Because I grew up here at the exact same time. And I'm going to assure you that none of us, growing up here in the, the Northland, had any concept of the crown or European history. That was not the patois of the day. But this young lady went off to the university. Very bright, I'm sure. She ended up at, uh, in Sta at Stanford University in a program that was called the Stanford Center for International Security and Arms Control. I'm heading some, <clears throat> excuse me, see, I get upset. I'm heading somewhere with this. I'm just going to ask you, please, please humor me. You know, I didn't ask you how you were today. I mean, this is a long way to start the day. But it, it's heading to something that if you do your own research, because at this time, 
We really have to. We have to. It's not that we want to. If you just turn over a rock like I did on this lady, she went to the Stanford Center for International Security and Arms Control, which was directed at the time by William J. Perry. He was the uh, Secretary of Defense under Bill Clinton. So, you know, these guys are at Stanford, Secretary of Defense. And I looked around and was trying to find this, this, uh, this woman, this Kimberly Martin's Ph.D. advisor, because I wanted to see who taught her and what did they teach her, because, you know, who teaches the children and what they teach them pretty much says where we're headed. And I don't want to name names, so I'm not going to. But her Ph.D. advisor, you'll never guess this, he was English. Yes, as a matter of fact, he got his degree in England at Cambridge and came to the United States and entered into our uh, academic system with the pedigree of coming from uh, the uh, old country. And he brought with them, you know, I don't have any 8x10s. I don't know. Was he a British intelligence his entire career? Had he been recruited as, was he an apostle? Now he was an angel? I don't know. I'm not going to spend that much time looking for it because he could have just been a British guy that married an American woman and came over here and he was raising his kids and a couple of dogs. I don't know. I don't know, and I don't want to speculate, but I just thought it was interesting because certainly he was educated on the payroll of the crown. And certainly, without any question of the doubt, he was of a doubt, he was uh, acculturated into that, you know, kind of British foreign policy uh, mindset that existed when he was a young man, which was ardently anti-Soviet, ardently anti-Russian. Because remember, the, the two cousins, the king of... Uh, England and his cousin Tsarnicki, you know, the Bolsheviks killed Tsarnicki, first cousin. That's personal. Killing family now. And they were, they were close. So I'm just, I don't know. I, it's all circumstantial. And, you know, human beings are meaning-making machines. But it is a reasonable presumption to believe that when he came into the United States system of, you know, higher education, he had been educated on the Crown's payroll with a, British sensitivities to and outlook about and the whole background that we've talked about going back to Spencer and to, to Galton and to the, the, the king himself, Darwin. That's where he grew up, at the center of it. That's where he And he came here, and I don't know for sure, but he might have given this Darwinian milk and anti-Russian milk to this young person from Minnesota that really didn't know shit from Shinola when she went to an East Coast school. Because I did the same thing, and I know what it was like. And I came from a, and so did she. Oh, it was so interesting. I forgot to tell you. Much like me, her father was also a professor at the University of Minnesota. Oh, and much like my dad, he did government work. Just like my dad did, because you know the government and these universities—they're you know—they're pretty tight together. I just found it to be very interesting. I'm not saying I understand her, and if she'd like to talk to me, she gets this by some freak of nature, somebody sends it to her, I, I would love to talk to her 
and bring her on the podcast and learn from her because she's very, very schooled in an outlook and, you know, not, not to be, uh, uh, mm, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. I just went and read some of the stuff she did when she was working for the Council on Foreign Relations. Hey, the CFR. Only the prime Atlanticist organization linking our country with the, its great past in Europe. And, you know, she had a publication that she did in 2017 on deterring Russia from further, you know, uh, expansionist uh, policy. And she wanted, this is from Hertz, and you can go look it up. She wants the United States to reaffirm its U.S. commitment to NATO's defense. Ooh. Uh, prioritize fulfillment of the 2016 Warsaw Summit force pledges. Okay. Prioritize sustaining the newly deployed U.S. Enhanced Forward Presence Battalion to, battalion to Poland. And urge Canadian, British, and German allies to quickly deploy and sustain their parallel commitments to lead new battalions in the Baltics. Oh, that sounds very friendly. Rely on comprehensive capabilities, not just conventional military forces, to deter Russia in the European theater. In other words, let's get, get down on our nuclear capabilities, you know? Think creatively about what cross-domain deterrence or using capabilities in one domain, such as air, land, cyber, or even trade and finance, to deter threats in another, as well as deterrence by denial, can mean today. The following recommendations on cyber activities, sanctions, and political reforms in the Baltics are examples of such thinking, and said and so on. I mean, this woman was quite a deep thinker on these issues. Encourage NATO in its planning scenarios to include consideration of how the alliance would react to potential new Russian land grabs beyond NATO's borders. Oh, they were planning ahead. They were planning ahead. Well, isn't that what we're supposed to do when we're in government? Anticipate the future? Or, or, as I like to say, the only people that can predict the future are those that create it. Fine line in there, right? And they're all working together. So I guess my point here is the neocons have gone really wild. Neocons gone wild. And uh, as I was saying on my uh, recent podcast about what's going on in Israel, the Israeli experience and the uh, United States experiences, it's, there's some similarities in my opinion. I hope you see it. Uh, we've got a neocon group, which is basically a Darwinist, non-religious, non-faithful, scientific uh, intelligentsia that is really into the military, you know, science and military going together, that wraps itself in the religious right. And the religious right allows itself to be used because it wants the security, first for Israel, and then, you know, within our country, the military-industrial complex, which goes right to the police state. And uh, that's our branding. That's our branding. This today, after that rather circuitous start, uh, I want to talk about branding. The branding of the Republican Party and its products that are associated with its brand and take a look at uh, where we're at 
and you know try to to chart a course to an American revival. I'm not saying victory. I'm saying an American jubilee. I'm not saying to vanquish my foes. I'm saying a community of Americans working together to address the problems that have been caused, yay, since maybe 1963, maybe since 46. The post-World War II Democrat liberal order has brought us a set of outcomes that have become toxic and unwell. And thinking about this in terms of brandy, I think this Democrat-Republican drama is just another magician's trick. And I'm going to make I'm going to share with you my my thinking as to why this is, because these two groups hate each other, right? I mean, they're so. First of all, nothing creates business like a range war. So you get two groups to hate each other. I mean, really hate each other. That really generates a lot of cash flow. So it's good for business. Let's just understand the root of this thing is there's a lot of money to be made off of this hatred that's been stoked. But why not have a twofer? Why not get all the people focused on this incredible conflict in our country, tearing our country apart, violence in the streets? But in reality, the reality is, much like the way the British took all the oil out of the Middle East while the Shias and the Sunnis were having a heyday killing each other, um, while we're hating on each other, let's, let's check out the real situation. What's the branding really all, What's the branding covering up here? Because the brand is Democrat and Republican. Okay, what are the Democrats? What is their product? Their product is, because their product is very successful, it's won the day. What, what did they sell us? What did they sell me when I was going to school? Well, number one, democracy. They have, the, the left has a vision of democracy, and they have sold that as a deliverable. They have a vision of the environment or environmentalism, Right? And they have the social equity issues. That's what the left is selling so successfully. So how is the right or the Republican Party playing into this? Because my theory is this is a system, and let's check out what's really going on. Well, when they talk about democracy, if you take a look at how our democracy functions, our democracy functions is our way is the truth and yours way, your way is a myth. And we've got lots of aircraft battle groups to back that up. So going with this idea of democracy is the military. So on the left liberal side, we talk about democratic rights and democratic values. But on the right, we talk about the strength of the U.S. military. That means that these two parties really are not at odds on this issue. They fit together like hand and glove. Okay. How about this environmental issue? Oh, they got a lot of traction on that one, didn't they? And in that environmental issue is health and uh, well-being, health care. So we've reached consensus on this issue. There was some struggling 
But, you know, remember when John McCain put his thumb down? That meant health care for all. So we've all agreed to agree on that one. The only thing that's left is this stranger, this social equity issue, which I, I really do want to talk about, okay? This social equity issue. That one we don't agree about. You know, it's social equity on the one side, and then you got, you know, crime and CRT and all the issues that are important to the right. So this, this issue people are tearing each other's hair out over, right? It's a war. So while we're fighting about this, really, which is essentially the race issue, okay? The other issues, the money issues, which would be military spending and health care spending, oh, well, nobody's disagreeing on that one. So let's talk about how big that is, okay? The defense contractors collected about $500 billion last year. $500 billion. Just the contractors. I'm not talking about the whole military budget. I'm talking about direct contracts awarded to the top 10. That's uh, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Pfizer's on the list, Pfizer Corporation, Northrop Grumman, Huntington Ingalls, Humana, you know, Moderna, Regeneron. I mean, come on. So you got on the top 10 of military contractors, you got four Healthcare companies. What the heck is going on here? And what's interesting about it is, for example, not to pick on BlackRock, but it's a name we should all know. They're invested in every one of these companies by about the exact same percentage, five, six, seven percent. Only when they jump up to 10%, like somebody there at BlackRock said, oh, this could be a better score. Do I want to pay attention? Because I can see they've just got it. And Vanguard's doing the same thing. So I looked at the two companies that BlackRock was overinvested in, 10.6%. Huntington Ingalls. Guess what business they're in? They're the builder of the most complex ships in the world for 135 years at Newport News and 83 years at Ingalls. Sole builder of the U.S. Navy aircraft carriers, the world's largest warships, and one of two builders constructing nuclear-powered submarines. Oh, really? So BlackRock is saying building ships is really going to give us a better return on investment. I wonder if that has anything to do with the South China Sea. Now, I, I was at a meeting of Republican Party activists, which we don't call it, you know, it's not a, it wasn't an official meeting. And even saying it was Republican was a little bit much because people roll in there with all kinds of persuasions, which I think is great. And I said, who here has a 401k? And everybody was a little bit concerned because it's revealing. And I said, who has a 401k? Put your, put your hands up. Come on. It's not a, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. Do you have, oh, then the hands start, you could see the, get your hands up. And boom, the whole room's hand went up. There it went. And what I'm saying here is, if you have a 401k, you are in on this business model. This business model, I'm talking about branding. We're talking about the brand of what? Where the two parties agree. They agree about something. Military spending and health care spending. You know, the, the, the choice fruit 
the most profitable businesses, they're in complete agreement about how this is supposed to work. They're only arguing about social issues, okay? So I'm just, this is about the branding of where the two parties agree, which some people refer to as the uni party, because they're in complete agreement here. They're not coming across the aisle at each other about this defense spending. And interestingly, the number one investment company in the world, BlackRock, is overweighted into the shipbuilding business. What does that tell us? Could that tell us that they get a good outcome if there's conflict in the South China Sea and that every one of us that have a 401k make money off of this, this business model of piracy? we got to think about this business model and this branding. Do we, the American people, do I, as an American citizen, want to derive my economic sustenance from the killing of other human beings? Is that my business model? Just talking about branding, a question. And the other company that they were overweighted in, which was Humana, you know, medical company, they just won the DOT TRICARE contract, East Region contract, a very lucrative contract. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how that works. And they just merged with United Healthcare, just like right yesterday. Oh, and guess what? BlackRock owns 7.6% of United Healthcare. How could they not know? They were on both sides of the equation. Well, there must be rules about this. There must be, right? Isn't that there's isn't it supposed to be a isn't this supposed to be fair? I don't know if this was fair or not. I am not a regulator. I'm not an attorney. I'm an American citizen looking at this and I'm saying they're overrate, overweighted in both companies and they own both companies. They brokered the deal. I mean, what are the rules here? I don't know. It might be completely legal. In fact, I'm sure that it is. Which brings up the legitimacy of the rule of law and of our political process and our constitutional process and why we the people have to get involved. You know, this thing is up for grabs. It, it seems like They've totally controlled it their way, and they have. They've used a system that is very malleable for their benefit. All we got to do, please, get involved. That's all you have to do. If you like this content and you're a political activist, particularly in Minnesota, please take the responsibility of working with your friends and your family first, your business associates. We can't have this Minnesota nice thing hey, we don't talk about religion and politics. It didn't work, okay? While we were following that in nice form and fashion, we lost the day. So we have to do this. We're a sales organization. And what this is, you know, these next series of podcasts are going to be about is about product and branding. But if we don't sell, if we're not willing to sell, it's not going to work. So the first thing we have to do is we have to come together as a sales team and say, What's our product and what's our branding? And that's what I'm saying. Our product right now includes, and our brand includes, a business model that profits from rules we don't understand and from the killing of other people. 
that's the core of the business model. And in, then you got the medical side of it. And I'm going to tell you that the, um, the defense side of it in, in Biden's proposed 2024 budget is $1.1 trillion. And the, def- and the healthcare side, healthcare, the healthcare side is $1.6 trillion. So that's one six seven two point seven trillion of the proposed budget. You know, about half is uh, killing people, one way or the other. Is one way to say it. It's matters of life and death. Okay, matters of life and death. And this is the brand of the Uni Party. This is their brand. This is their brand. This is the Uni Party's brand. If you support this, don't complain about any other issues. Because if you support the Uni Party's stance on the military spending and on health care spending and how health care is handled in the country relative to what I would call well-being, or how having a huge industry that kills people in a very systematic and efficient scientific method, if these two issues, if you resonate with this, if you think this is okay, you like the old British model, this is a slavery, drugs, and piracy. Slavery, drugs, and piracy. you got all these medical companies, it's drugs, right? All these military companies, piracy. The only thing that's left out is slavery and that's because they've gotten so good at it, we don't realize the slavery. We got slavery all over the country. We got wage slavery. Terrible. Associated with this uni party. Look at all these people coming in. They're going to work. They're going to depress wages. I mean, we got to get smart about our branding and about what, what product we're selling. So we have this to, to work on now. We have this to work on. And I want to just leave you with a thought while I was there. Total military spending in the world, all countries combined, this last year was $2.1 trillion, okay? Of that $2.1 trillion, hey, we're almost half of it, okay? Sounds like empire to me. So back to the, the theme, the uni party, the democracy, on the left side is matched with the military on the right side. General agreement, everything's good. Uniparty agreement. Environment, environmentalism, the climate crisis is matched with health care issues and issues of uh, pandemics and, you know, governing the health of the world because we, we have to deal with the health of the human population to ensure the health of the planet. Those two things kind of go together. And there's broad consensus about how that money's being spent. Broad. And you know that because the money is being spent, right? And then the only argument is on this social equity issue and the matters of the border and education and crime. It's a scam. It's a complete scam. We're being asked to be involved in a culture war when, when the money issues are essentially agreed upon by both parties. We, if we're going to escape this death, 
we're going to have to identify what's going on here, and we're going to have to rebrand. We're going to have to rethink our branding and our product. I'm not saying we're not going to be the Republican Party. I'm saying kill the elephant. Kill the elephant. And I, you know, I just want to share why I say kill the elephant. Got to go back in time. You know, there are so many people that are Democrats that are so distressed with the unwellness being peddled by the by the by the globalists that are really at home in the Democrat Party. They know it's not right. They know that freedom is being abridged. They know that free speech is being abridged. They know that freedom assembly to assemble is next. They're not down with this this uh, the whole the whole program. I don't want to pick on any of it. They they're not they're Democrats for human well being reasons, free speech, uh, anti military, anti war. These people are you know the children of the '60s liberals, and they've gotten caught up into a movement. And why don't they come out? Because they look at the Republican Party. We don't look at ourselves. They look at us and they know the history of the party, which we ourselves in the party, we really don't know. The party, it was before the, the root of the party was very xenophobic. It, it, it resisted immigrants. This, the, the root of this party historically resisted every immigrant wave of European settlers. You know, when the Europeans came, they didn't like it. They didn't like the Irish coming here. There was, you know, huge conflict in New York over the Irish coming into New York City. They didn't like the Italians coming. That's why the mafia took root, because the Italians were precluded from participation in society in a full and, and, and uh, equal way. They didn't want the Jews coming here. That was the roots of the party. And uh, it, was, it was really a very uh, scientific and eugenicist group of folks, I might add. Okay? Th th these people were about the subduing of the American continent, about manifest destiny, about the superiority of uh, uh, white Christian males, and the... Uh, uh, resistance to lower economic, lower genetic groups. You know that's how they thought about it. Very proto-Nazi ways of thinking about race and class and culture. That was the root of the party, and the you know, the evidence is there. Please go find it. And uh, very globalist from 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 the get go. These people are involved in. Uh, these were business people. This was a you know a New York kind of a thing, finance, trade. These, this was the the beginning of the union. You know Lincoln, as great as he was, he was the one that brought the federal government into prominence, started the income tax, and is responsible for modernizing and 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 bringing the American economy into this industrial age, which was his dream. He was he wrote it down. We don't have to wonder what he thought. He wrote it down. So irrespective of any 
uh, issues relative to the abolition of slavery, slavery that could have come from a great and deep moral sentiment, which clearly was expressed by Lincoln and by many others. Much like in, in Britain, it was a bad business model for the industrial age, okay? So it was terrible spiritually, and it was not good for business. It was a twofer. It brought about change when things get, you know, when people agree like that. But we go back and we realize that this group of people had a great sense of accomplishment, a great sense of purpose, a great sense of, uh, of uh, uh, superiority. And I don't, I'm not saying Lincoln felt that way. I'm not, I don't know. I didn't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going on record that way. But I'm saying within the party, it existed. And these groups would come in and they'd get rejected, and the Democrats would pick them up. This was the party of slavery, talking about branding. Why don't we, why don't we say it loud and say it proud? Because we let, it, we let the ball drop. And this is what we're talking about branding now. The party was branded as anti-immigrant because it was. So the Democrats started realizing that they could break. Because the Democrats' party of slavery, right? Party of slavery. They started picking up these immigrant groups because, you know, they... They had just lost the Civil War. They had to rebuild their constituency. And they realized, well, we're picking up these groups. These people are very loyal to us. All we got to do is deliver spoils to them. A whole system started to develop of inner city patronage. And the jobs went to these groups. Oh, these, you know, they were experimenting. This worked really well. But throughout the country, the Democrats were still the party of Deep segregation, American apartheid, you know, two different Americas, the America of, of the, the, the ex-slaves and the America of the, you know, the land of opportunity. And these people wanted to maintain that. Down south, they were Democrats. They were the, 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 the parents of the KKK, these two parties. So what were these two parties? What was the uni party about here? You had an anti-immigrant group in the Republican Party which is born of Darwinism and, and uh, you know, Galtonianism. And you had an anti-black group in the Democrat Party, born of, Dar you know, Darwinism and Galtonianism. Same, these are the same people, only on two sides of the equation, right? I mean, really, the only thing that separated them is this northern group thought it was a better business model if you set the slaves free and made them wage slaves. And what happens? Lyndon Johnson, after watching the successive uh, waves of immigrants get rejected and get incorporated into the Democrat Party, and they learned how to work the unions and the whole system, oh, I got a great idea. I'm going to get behind the Civil Rights Movement. And he was a Dixiecrat, and if you listen to some of his tapes, you wouldn't call him a paragon of uh, uh, racial enlightenment. He was uh, something else, Lyndon Johnson. Anyhow, don't take my word for it. Do your own research. Because as we started out in the Matrix, you have to see it for yourself. You have to see it for yourself. Every time I see it for myself, and I want to share this with you, if I get it from you, it's great. And I wish I paid better attention, and I'm trying to. But when I get it from for myself, I get such an intense feeling of satisfaction 
that I uncovered something. It's just a, it's just a very enlightening, enlightening moment. So please go look up Lyndon Johnson and find out what a fine uh, politician he was. You know, give you some insight into the American experience. Anyhow, he had this idea that he was going to get behind the civil rights movement because the best way to lead the opposition is to get out in front of it. And he followed through. And those Southern Democrats, those apartheid-loving racists, got so pissed off at the party they said, we're not down with this. We know what you're doing. You went too far. And they just quit being Democrats. And our beloved Richard Nixon started talking about the silent majority. Silent majority, which became the moral majority, which became the religious right. And our neocons in the Republican Party that had taken it over, the scientific Darwin, Darwinist military-industrial complex, medical-industrial complex, uh, capitalists that took control of the party, wrapped their efforts in this religious right, which was really filled with a lot of racism. So the party, the Republican Party, that is born also of an abolitionist sentiment and a deep faith in God, got kind of hijacked along the way. So when these Democrats want to come out, they can't because they see the Republican Party as this racist, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, homophobic group of people, which there's good historical evidence to say that that is a lot of what was in the party. And I know from being in the party, there's many people in the party that are not, just not that way. I'm a Republican. I am not that way. I want to talk to all the young people. If you're listening, please come in. We're not that way. We are not going to be a racist, anti-Semitic, xenophobic, homophobic party. We're just not. That's not what we are now. We're Americans. And we believe that every American citizen is entitled to the protection of their rights under the Constitution. Stop. There will not be any further ongoing um, contradictions in the party that the left can use to invalidate the fundamental of what it is to be an American, that we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, and promote the general welfare, secure the blessings delivered to ourselves and our posterity. I mean, we're not going to have this all men and created equal thing be used as a weapon. Furthermore, we're going to kill the we're going to kill that elephant. That symbol has got to go. Not the idea of America and not the Republican Party, but we have to have some kind of ritual of change. That we get a new a new brand that reflects who we really are. So that these people that want to get away from this death cult, this enslavement cult that has taken over, you know, a large part of our population, all the people that don't want to be involved in that, they've got to have a place to go. So we have to evolve our brand and our product 
and respond to the politics of tomorrow today. That's business. That's something I feel very confident to speak on. We have to have a brand that is not besmirched by the sins of the participants of the past. And if you're doing that in the present, get out. Okay? Get out. No racism. No anti-Semitism. No xenophobic thinking. No homophobic thinking. We're a party that believes in the protection of human rights. We believe in human well-being. We believe in judge not lest you be judged. We're going to have to change our, our brand and our product. And when we do that, and we do it deftly and quickly, and we do it by the, you know, by the partici- participation of the people, you know, we, we, are, we, ha- we have a, a group of people working together. We're a movement. We can do this together. Now, of course, I have ideas about this. But this is not about me. It's about you. If you agree that the brand needs updating, that we have to get by this kind of, you know, really a past that has, it has its deficits. And the present and the future will have its deficits. But we don't have to be saddled by the sins of the past. Furthermore, not only do we not have to be, but we must provide well-being for the American people. We cannot allow uh, adherence to and a clinging to a past which is prohibiting the American people from having an exit strategy away from unwellness. It's critical, just critical. Tanner, can you play this piece uh, from the founder? This kind of, it's a long piece. Please enjoy it. Prince Castle Sales, how can I help you? Hi, Jim. Ray, how's it going down there? Good. Swell. A lot of interest. Hold on, let me uh, fetch your messages. Let's see. Gene Rafferty from United Aluminum needs to reschedule Friday. Ed Nance calling about the refund. Sloan and Sons, they called again. We're 60 days past due. A lady from the March of Dimes. Oh, we got an order. Six mixers. Six? Mm hmm. Some drive in out in California. Same place, one place? No, that's not. That's impossible. I've got the slip right here. No, you, 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 I'm sure, misunderstood. You know what? Give me the number. You got a pen? Okay. All right. Hello? McDonald's? Hello, good afternoon. May I please speak with your owner? Which one? I'm sorry? Dick or Mac? Uh, whichever one is available, I guess. Hello, Dick. This is uh, Ray Kroc from Prince Castle Sales. Some reason I'm calling is someone placed an order yes, with us for some Yes, yes, that was me. How soon can you get them out here? Well, it's actually why I'm phoning now, Dick. Actually, I think there might have been some kind of miscommunication. Freezer. Top shelf, left side. I'm sorry. No problem. Uh, my uh, secretary's under the impression that you wanted six. Yeah, you know what? I think that was a mistake. Well, that's what I figured. I mean, we're going to drive in. Could make 30 milkshakes at a time. Better make it eight. Yeah, I'm sorry, I understand. Uh, I'm still a little bit... You know where to send them, right? San Bernardino, California, corner yeah. of 14th and Hold 8th. on a minute. All right, to anyone in particular? Just the store is fine. McDonald's. Okay? Thanks a lot. Yeah.
Don't worry. It moves fast. Really? Hi, welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order? Yeah, give me a uh, hamburger and french fries and a Coca-Cola. That'd be 35 cents, please. Great. 15 cents is your change. Here you are. What's this? Your food. No, no, no. I just ordered. And now it's here. Sure. All right. Where the, uh, you know, silverware and the plates and everything. You just eat it straight out of the wrapper and then throw it all out. All right. Where do I eat it? In your car? At the park? At home? Wherever you like. Okay, 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 thanks. Mr. Fellow. I spoke with my brother Dick. I did, yeah. Yeah. What are you doing way out here? I'm in Los Angeles. Business meetings. Ooh. I thought I'm in the neighborhood. I should just swing by and say hello. Well, I'm sure glad you did. This whole thing, this is some operation. Care for a little tour? Of the hmm? Yeah, I would. Well, finish up, I'll come back. Alrighty, thanks. Well, birth of a brand, right? Uh, Ray Kroc. You know anything about Ray Kroc? Ray Kroc was, uh, he was older, and he was a, a drinker, and he had lots of personal problems. And he just stayed in the batter's box and kept swinging. And uh, McDonald's. And this guy, you know, he found his reason to be at a, you know, not, not, a, not in the first, not in the first half. He was working the, he was in the second half of the game, and he, he came up with this idea, which actually someone else came up with it, but he was the one that, that took it and turned it into what it was. And I, I just want to bring out that he was spent. He was, he was spent. That was part of what that bit was about. You know, he had nothing going on. Kind of like, 
kind of like the Republican Party in Minnesota. It's kind of got nothing going on. And uh, found a new concept, liked it. He, he didn't even know what to do with it. You know, where's the silverware? Where's the plates? That's my food I just ordered. I mean, he didn't really, he didn't really know how to take advantage of this youthful new idea that had burst onto the scene. And I think that's, you know, a nice way of saying it. Uh, sometimes we get people that just resist change because people resist change or other people resist change because they have a vested interest in things not changing. Uh, some people are malevolent about it. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know. But when you see the need for change, when you know your message is not generating, your message is your product. When you see that your product is not delivering to the people what it is that they're looking for, and you got a bad brand image, you got to move on. And I'm saying that to all the people that are listening to me, and this is not to be banging the drum of republicanism. Same thing goes for the Democrat Party. This isn't working. Remember what I said. we got a unit party that essentially agrees on all matters of money, all matters that matter to them, which is the cash. Because, of course, they're Darwinists. And then they throw a bone out to the people. Why don't you guys go argue over spiritual matters like race and culture and religion? Kill yourselves. Go kill yourselves. A perfect example. Talked about 10 military-industrial complex companies that get a total of $500 billion a year in direct hardware contracts, well, hardware and software. But, I mean, we're not talking about personnel. We're talking about product, right? $500 billion. 500 B. B, big ones. Those companies exist. Their product lines create death. These are death companies, and I was trying to say that earlier. Got a 401K? You know, are you, are you invested in any index funds? You're betting on this thing working, right? The business model of piracy. You know, this is going to be difficult for some of my, my friends, but, you know, the sanctity of life issue. Talk about getting diverted. We talked about this before. The party, in addition to having all these negatives, now has wrapped itself in the cloth of religiosity and the sanctity of life, and all this sanctity of life sentiment gets focused on the abortion issue, and women run screaming from faith because they're being judged against, even though Christ said, judge not lest you be judged. You know, who's manipulating this? Who is using young women as a shield, as a cover story, and the same group our party is invested in, in the uni party part of our party, in a $1.1 trillion military budget, a far-flung empire, and you know people dying in the hundreds of thousands every year because of this investment that we all as the American people are involved in. Is, you know, this is not working. We're part of that democracy military brand, which is very anti-human. 
It's very violent, very warlike. How many people in this country have, if, if given an opportunity that was not laden with other issues of like racism and anti-Semitism, just how many people are for the well-being of the people and don't want to be involved in continuous wars? How many people can we find in America today that would be for peace? And how many are we going to find that are going to stand up and say, we're all in on war? Let's ask the question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But I would like to believe, since the Uni Party agrees on military spending and, and, and health care spending, broad agreement for $2.7 trillion a year in the proposed budget. If they're agreeing on that, we need a different brand. We need a different product. Because that product has brought us $32 trillion of debt. And the Virgin Nuclear War, same people, because they're in control. They're getting their way. They're getting the military spending. They're getting the health care spending. It's the medical, military, industrial complex, large and in charge. And part of the outcome of that group of people is $32 trillion in debt, which is also not well for the people, and the Virgin Nuclear War, which is not well for the people. So that whole complex of military and medical generates unwellness. I want to be about human well-being. I want the people to be well. This is not well. Can we come up with a product and a brand that brings well-being. And will the people resonate with it? These are the questions we're going to work on together. I'm working on it every week. We're going to work on it publicly. We're going to work on it online. We're going to work on it in the podcasts. We want to find a, pro a branding, a Republican branding, that, that creates a new brand image that's about human well-being and human rights, and breaks with the past uh, Darwin, Darwinist infiltration of those beautiful ideas. We want that. And we've got to have a new product. We've got to distinguish ourselves. Let, let's, just, let's just get into this um, re, you know, rebranding, the golden arches. Tanner, can you play this, uh, this next one about churches and courthouses, crosses and flags? Yeah, I, mean, I drove through a lot of towns, a lot of small towns. And they all had two things in common. They had a courthouse and they had a church. On top of the church, got a cross. And on top of the courthouse, they'd have a flag. Flags, crosses, crosses, flags. Driving around, I just cannot stop thinking about this tremendous restaurant. Now, at the risk of sounding blasphemous, forgive me. Those arches have a lot in common with those buildings. A building with a cross on top, what is that? It's a gathering place where decent, wholesome people come together and they, they share values protected by that American flag. It could be said that that beautiful building flanked by those arches signifies more or less the same thing. It doesn't just say delicious hamburgers inside. 
They signify family. It signifies community. It's a place where Americans come together to break bread. I am telling you, McDonald's can be the new American church. Feeding bodies and feeding souls, and it ain't just open on Sundays, boys. That's great, isn't it? It's the new American church. Well, it is. Uh, the problem with it is, is it uh, doesn't generate a lot of well-being. So you can have the greatest brand, and you can have the greatest packaging, but the product you deliver has got to be sincere. Something we'll talk about up the road a piece. But it's just, it's the genius of crosses and churches and Ray Kroc framing this out with the Golden Arches that it was a, a gathering place for a community. You know, everything he said was correct. Just the product is not sincere. See, if your product is, is BS, all the greatest marketing in the world and the best branding in the world is going to eventually collapse and you know, it's just going to collapse because you're going to kill your customers. High sodium, high fat diets with a lot of sugar and a lot of calories for a sedentary population is not well-being. <laughs> it works great if you're a farmer, but we're not farming. Maybe if we go back to the land, McDonald's will have a renaissance. But not to get down into the weeds about that quite yet, we as the, as, as the political activists have got to come to grips with our new American church. That, you know, the founding documents are religious in nature. And we have to cut through the fog of uh, our government's supposed to be secular because it's not. Uh, you, you cannot get it doesn't have to be religious in the sense of a church. It has to be spiritual in the sense of the power and the meaning of these documents includes otherworldly sources. Right in the documents, a creator. So to get back to some kind of a balance between the material and spiritual creates, in essence, a new arch under which the American people can find shelter. Not the shelter of a $1.1 trillion military budget or the shelter of a nationwide state police, which is a jackboot of tyranny upon the necks of the people. You know, the police have a very difficult job. Let their job be the well-being of the community. I agree with that. You know, the, the police are being asked to take care of a system-wide breakdown, and then being, they're being told to take care of it flawlessly. When our educational system, our value system, our spiritual system, everything's broken. And then you get all these casualties from that breakdown, and the police are supposed to flawlessly, seamlessly, and without human error, police all these broken souls. My goodness gracious. What a hard job. What a hard job. 
Wouldn't it be nice to live in a country where we don't need police? And I don't mean to fund the police. I mean where the children are raised in a moral environment that promotes the sanctity of life. Is it any accident that the anti-nuclear movement died out about the same time that the right to life, uh, right to choose battle broke out here in this country? All that sanctity of life was all focused in the anti-nuclear movement. Somehow, magically, as if by natural selection, a movement that was opposing the death of all human beings in an instant, that battle to oppose that scientific power became focused on the travails of young women who might choose to take one life as yet unborn. Wow. I guess if you believe that that happened organically, that's where you are right now. I don't believe that. I believe that happened very systematically. And I think I can find the evidence to prove it. Because the professors that led the anti-nuclear charge were in these institutions, like Bertrand Russell. Because at that moment in time, for the Darwinists to align themselves with the anti-war movement suited them just fine. Remember, they can be liberals and they can be Nazis. No problem. It doesn't bother them. These are just political ideologies meant to implement and actualize their humanist religion. They could be communists or socialists. They don't care. They don't care which they are. So they will use whatever they need to use as they become more in, in tune and more informed. Because when they get together, much like when we get together, they're constantly thinking and evaluating. But they're just many steps ahead of us. Many steps ahead of us. Because first of all, they're still hidden. Not as much because they're going for it, but they're still hidden. So part of this branding and this product, this product that we're going to deliver, we have to deliver a product that really addresses the issues, not of yesterday. You know, of course all those issues matter. But what really matters is the well-being and the longevity of the people. And I'm really speaking to the issues of tomorrow today. And we're going to go through that and develop this product. And I'm going to ask you for your opinion. And I ask people for their opinion. Not just because I want their opinion. I do want their opinion. But I want their participation. Let all who wish to participate participate. Let not the jackboots of tyranny come down upon your neck and convince you that you're powerless or that it doesn't matter. You know, talk about tropes or dog whistles. Oh, my goodness gracious. Give up. It doesn't matter. 
Do you know how much of this is just aimed at getting the American people to just give up? Just live our lives. Turn the television off. I'm not going to watch the news anymore. It's out to hurt me, to manipulate me. So I'm going to, I'm not going to watch. Well, if you're not going to watch it anymore, how are you going to know what's going on? Now you're living disconnected from the propaganda reality. These issues are all very complicated. I realize it. So let me suggest the importance of endurance, of staying engaged and getting more engaged, of, of looking for the answers yourself, of participating in politics. There's many groups outside the political parties that would welcome you in, that are, you know, constitutionally driven. Let us stay away from groups that are outside the Constitution because we still have a living document that's imbued with power that we can work with. Let us not believe this is hopeless. These people took over power by using our constitutional process. We can figure out how to take it back. It might not be overnight. It might be overnight. If we have the right message, if you and I can come up with a message, that we, if you can go talk to that brother or that sister who's a leftist, who you barely can talk to, and maybe you don't talk to them. If you could come up with a message that they will listen to and they'll resonate with, we're on to something. Because if they can be Nazis or liberals or socialists or communists, let us learn from them. We know what we're about. We're about human well-being, which involves human freedom. We know what we're about. But how we solve the problems that we find ourselves in today, those solutions need to be pragmatic solutions to redress wrongs that are very long-standing and increasing intensity. So we have to be open-minded about how we deal with these things. We have to listen to our fellow citizens, what they want to accomplish, how they want to accomplish it. We have to get away from the control and the tyranny the very thing that we reject, we cannot adopt, which is a typical mistake that movements make. But make no mistake, we're going to rebrand. And we're going to do it quickly, and we're going to come up with a new set of ideas. And I invite party participants of both parties to join me, to come on the show, to talk about this with me, because this is not a conflict-orientated process. We have to look at what's really going on. Broad consensus on military spending in defense of democracy. Broad consensus on health care spending as part of environmentalism. $32 trillion of debt and the virgin nuclear war is the outcome. So if we're going to change this, if we as the American people reject the outcome of this political unity, Uni party. We're going to reject this. We're going to have to carefully analyze where we're at, where the Uni Party is at, how the Republican Party got to be the way it is, how the Democratic Party got to be the way it is, and create a new message for all the free people, all the people that believe in natural rights and their freedoms, 
in believing in protecting minority rights, that believe in humanity, that believe in the uh, right to live, the right to life and liberty. We got to find a place where all these people can gather that doesn't alienate them. And we got to do it in a way that is consistent with and in harmony with our principles. And we can do it because it's right and true and good. When we speak the truth, you know, I was at a meeting and someone was saying to me again, this person frequently says this, well, David, you're way out here and all the people are back here. And what she's saying is the people haven't caught up. And the people say, well, they're dumb. People are dumb. I mean, that's what they say. They're not dumb. You're not dumb. I'm not dumb. The wizards, the magicians that trick us, they're just very educated and very smart, and they're paid to be smart. They're paid to think 24 hours a day, seven days a week. While we're working by the sweat of our brow, these people are in secret societies called universities, figuring out, like this professor from Bernard, you know, she's in the government, she's outside the government, she's in the CFR. I mean, the CFR, that's kind of a, you know, affiliated governmental organization. People, you know, turnstile in and out of there from government like that William Perry. He's teaching at Stanford. He used to be a secretary of defense. This thing's a merry-go-round, right? We're living in an environment where the brand and product is controlled by the professors. And we just have to realize it and not hate them. They have an ideology. We don't agree with it. Some of them probably think it's gone too far. They're just not going to be involved with racists and anti-Semites and xenophobes and homophobes. Okay, we believe in human rights, human well-being. That's what we believe. Let's start to rebrand today. Let's talk about American citizenry, American sovereignty. Let's talk about just as a body needs an immune system to defend itself from viruses and foreign invaders, a border is a nation's skin. It's its immune system. I mean, we can, we can reframe into new metaphors, new ways of talking that are completely logical. But it all boils down to one thing. It all boils down to telling the truth. This activist, oh, the people aren't where you are. You got you to gotta spoon feed it to them. No, we just have to speak the truth. And if we understand the truth, we can speak it simply and plainly. Truth, like Honest Abe or George Washington, couldn't tell a lie. You know, our greatest leaders, whether they're the greatest or not, I don't know, but our two greatest presidents, according to myth and legend, our heroes, George Washington, could not tell a lie. Abraham Lincoln, as the name of the founding father of monotheism, Abraham, what an accident. And he was known as Honest Abe. So truth-telling was associated with our founding, our most important leaders, our heroes. Truth-telling. we got to tell the truth. we got to tell it like it is. We don't have to attenuate our message. That's kind of lying. We have to be aware of, we have to identify what our core principles are, and then we have to speak about current events and historical events with great honesty. And if we're honest, then we're 
we're consistently honest, and we expose the contradictions like this, let's blame it all on young women, when our entire country is about killing people, our whole business model. You know, if we just get honest and just say that, we may find a new resonance with some of the people, maybe more of the people, maybe 70% of the people. We're looking for a 70% message. 70% message. And that's why there's such a great effort to snuff out people that tell the truth. Tanner, can you play this clip with AOC? It's about a 60-second clip. Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. Couldn't have happened to a better guy. Um, what I will say, though, is while I'm very glad that the person that is arguably responsible for the some of the largest driving some of the most uh, amounts of death threats and violent threats, not just to my office, but to plenty of people across the country. Um, I also kind of feel like I'm like waiting for the cutscene at the end of a Marvel movie after all the credits have rolled. And then you see like the villains like hand reemerge out to grip, grip over like the end of a building or something. But deplatforming works and it is important. And um, there you go. Well, yes, deplatforming does work. There's a tyrant. There's a person saying that, uh, and I'm going to make a case about this because now I'm, I'm not here to, to pitch President Trump, but I'm going to play when he was the platform, and then I'm going to you know, play something about a presidential candidate being censored. The, these, this kind of politics where we're afraid to listen to people and what they have to say, when we demonize people and call it misinformation, disinformation, when people hold political beliefs that are not supported in the mainstream, like believing in God. And these people are demonized and threatened with deplatforming, which has taken on a whole new chilling meaning of, you know, using the law as a tool of, of uh, tyranny. And uh, all the people that are podcasting, including me saying these things, you know, we're risking our, our freedom and, you know, we're risking everything to talk to you. I'm, I'm trying to talk to you very truthfully, very sincerely. Uh, I'm afraid of this kind of talking that AOC is, is bringing forward. Um, and I have to function with uh, courage, you know, even though I realize she's talking, you know, not to me. I mean, if they can get Tucker Carlson, which they fully intend to do, Tucker's going to reemerge at some point. He's going to have a huge following. He's going to be hugely influential, and they're going to try to deplatform him. Which this is a an inf, this is a, a war about what this is a war for people's minds. You have to see it for yourself. That's what's so great about that movie. That line, you have to see it for yourself. And you're only going to find the truth. And the truth is not pretty. The truth is we're living in tyranny, a, a prison for our minds, and we don't recognize it. And to the extent we don't recognize it, that prison is getting more and more controlling. 
And we're running out of time to maintain our human freedom and our human well-being and our human dignity. So I'm going to ask you very sincerely and very uh, heartfully, please send this podcast to your friends if you like what you're hearing. Use the ideas. We have to be continuously engaged now with the people that don't agree with us. It's, it's all hands on deck. It's all the time. This is really not about party. This is about human well-being and human freedom or total control that will be um, exercised upon the people by tyranny. I mean, that's, a, that's tyrannical to say deplatforming works. Before she even knows what Tarko Carlson is going to say, she's already threatening him with silence, to be silenced, threatening him with being silenced. Play this next one, please, Tanner, about Donald Trump. Tonight, a deafening silence from the president's Twitter account in his waning days as commander-in-chief. Twitter, run by CEO Jack Dorsey, saying after close review of the president's recent tweets, it banned him due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Twitter specifically warning, quote, plans for future armed protests have already begun proliferating on and off Twitter, including a proposed secondary attack on the U.S. Capitol and state Capitol buildings on January 17th. After the ban, the president tried to tweet from other campaign and staff accounts, triggering a game of whack-a-mole with Twitter quickly taking down his posts. Many platforms have banned or restricted the president's accounts, including Facebook and Instagram, where he's blocked indefinitely and for at least the next two weeks. Let's forget for a second about all of the reasons why. Because they're there. Let's just look at the fact that a president can be silenced. Well, presidents have been silenced in the past. They've been shot and killed for what they believed. The most recent of which was President John Kennedy, 1963. Who makes the decision to silence the political ideology of a president, because they're, you know, they did it. They're still working on it. When I say they, I mean lawyers that work for we the people. They are on our payroll. We are taxed to pay for these people's salaries and for their research and for their departments and for the whole prosecution of their jobs. We're paying for it. So we the people have to make it just we have to really understand are we going to allow political dissent to be silenced in the United States of America because it is and it's not constitutional it's anti-constitutional so we're accepting this as the people and this is why I'm doing politics because if I cannot be free I cannot be well now, some people are going to make the claim that you can be free, excuse me, you can be well and not free. And yes, that's true. You can be in a prison and be well. You can be a slave and be well. 
But the highest expression of well-being will come when you're free. That's why we strive for freedom. You have to be brainwashed to accept servitude, which is what's going on here. We have to see it for ourselves. We have to see it for ourselves before, well, before it gets any worse, because it's pretty damn bad already. Tanner, just the latest incident. Please play this piece with uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. You've said in the past that there is a, a correlation between uh, vaccines leading to autism that's totally been debunked. Wait a minute, who debunked it? We have not seen any kind of scientific connection from the CDC, the World Health Organization, the but, National but those Academy of Sciences. are captive agencies, Lindsay. And so you think they're all in cahoots? Yeah, they're all captive. You've discussed the Kennedy family as like any family, there are disagreements. But I think what makes it different here is that several of your relatives have not just said that they disagree with you, but they've called you dangerous. And as you're probably well aware, there were two of your siblings and a niece who wrote in a Politico article back in 2019. He's helped to spread dangerous misinformation over social media and is complicit in sowing distrust of science behind vaccines. We stand behind him in his ongoing fight to protect our environment. However, on vaccines, He's wrong. Your sister Carrie has said, I love my brother Bobby, but I do not share or endorse his opinions on many issues, including the COVID pandemic, vaccinations, and the role of social media platforms in policing false information. Your sister Rory has said, uh, I admire his past work on it as an environmentalist. Because of him, we can swim in the Hudson, but due to a wide range of Bobby's positions, I'm supporting President Biden. I'm just curious, if you are not able to get your own sisters to vote for you for president, how would you make that appeal to American voters? <laughs> what is your family like? Do they agree with everything that you say and do? They'd probably vote for me if I ran for president. Yeah, well, I have siblings who will vote for me as well, but I have a big family and many of them will not. Um, I, I, I have two siblings who came to my announcement and a lot of other relatives as well. But I mean, there's disagreements, but you know, I love my family and you know, my family particular, in particular uh, grows, we grew up arguing with each other and we are uh, very, very, I think say comfortable disagreeing with each other, both publicly and privately on issues and at the same time loving each other. And that's something that I think we is a lesson that we ought to learn for this country. Uh, we can disagree with each other without hating each other, without vilifying each other, without marginalizing each other. I'm just making a distinction and just using your family's words well, calling yeah, you dangerous. Yeah, no, I but, was just using your family's words to call you dangerous rather than saying that's not like the typical family that might have disagreements around the kitchen room And table. how do you expect me to respond to that other than saying they were wrong about the issue that they consider me dangerous? Oh, that's a fair... Uh, response. And my other point is just that if you don't regard the same scientific authorities. Science is rarely static. There are very few scientific principles that are immovable. Science is dynamic. And, you know, look, I, I, you, I've had, I've argued over probably, or I've, I've litigated over 500 lawsuits. In every one of those lawsuits, there are experts, authorities on one side and experts and authorities on the other that are saying the exact opposite thing. So no, I don't trust authority. I need to see the details. I need to see the signs. Your final pitch to voters. My pitch would be that, you know, we need, we, we need to look at what's happened to our country. We need to try to, um, to 
to arrest this emergence of corporatism, of the corrupt merger of state and corporate power that's undermining our values, that's strip mining our landscapes, uh, that is stealing the assets of the middle class of this country, that is compromising the values of this country, that's keeping us in a constant state of war, and that uh, is creating a, a nation that doesn't resemble the nation that you know we all love, which is a nation with a few handful of billionaires and widespread poverty, in which democracy does not have a prayer of continuing. And let's try to uh, let's try to take a new path that will allow us to give our children a country that is once again a moral authority around the globe, an exemplary nation, and that has a booming middle class in this country that can sustain democracy. We should note that during our conversation, Kennedy made false claims about the COVID-19 vaccines. Data shows that the COVID-19 vaccines prevented millions of hospitalizations and deaths from the disease. He also made misleading claims about the relationship between vaccination and autism. Research shows that vaccines and the ingredients used for the vaccines do not cause autism, including multiple studies involving more than a million children and major medical associations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the advocacy group autism speaks we've used our editorial judgment and in not including extended portions of that exchange in our interview we thank mr kennedy for the conversation well, that's just great right so those are kennedy's uh greatest areas of expertise this is a man of obvious gravitas obvious spiritual conviction he's running for president and some of his most important ideas are censored. They're coming for me next and coming for you also. Uh, they will not stop. If they, if they succeed in quieting the voices of political leaders that they don't agree with, if they can make these people go away, when I say they, I mean we the people. It's us. It's our elected representatives. It's the media that we watch. It's what we're paying for. If we continue to empower this, the result is quite predictable, isn't it? I mean, you see what's coming. So send this out. Talk to your friends and neighbors. We're going to start to talk about all the things that we can do as American citizens that are legal, that are constitutional, and that can disempower these evil people by just taking our power back from them. They're only empowered because we let them. All we got to do is say, nope, game's over. Take our power back. One election cycle, two at the most, we can get this thing turned around. But it's predicated on us working together. It's predicated on you talking to your friends and neighbors. It's predicated on suspending business as usual until we get the affairs of this country sorted out. So on that note, I want to thank you for spending your time with me today. It was a, a big subject. I tried to take it in a mellow fashion. And I want to wish you a great day and a lot of well-being, and I, I look forward to seeing you soon again.